All right, my friend, this is the second part to our, I guess now two-part, because it's getting pretty long, um, our now two-part Q&A, where people sent us in questions, and we do our best to answer them sometimes, hopefully, mostly. So let's dive into the second part of the Q&A. So I guess, I think we, I don't know what we ended with, but the first question for this one is from Charlie. Have you ever suffered from burnout since launching Fathom? If so, what do you think caused it and what have you done to try to mitigate? Yeah. So I know that we had a few situations which I didn't know how to, this was in the early days, it really does say 2020, I want to say. Which isn't, which is three years ago now. Yeah. But I know in, we had a few situations that were out of my skill level. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't have enough of a network to solve the issue. And I remember, so for example, um, going viral and not understanding that IOPS were limiting our database throughput. Right. And I, I mean, senior engineers will know this, but again, I, a lot of engineers won't know about this. And so, that was stressful for a day. But the thing that burned me out, and I have been burned out, would have been the DDoS attack. And I laugh at that now because I have a network of people that can help me. And I, like, I know enough about it to, to have the protections in place. Um, but at the time, you know, I'd built applications, but we'd never had to deal with DDoS attacks before. Mm. We, di we didn't even have, I mean, we had some kind of firewall, but it wasn't, layer seven DDoS attacks that you had to be thinking about. And I know that after that, I felt worn out for a long, long time. And I really had to kind of get some energy to push myself. And the reason that burned me out was because I can handle stress in short bursts. I can handle a day of stress because, you know, I've learned over time that it always passes. The thing about the DDoS attack is I felt like I, did, I couldn't solve this and I felt like it was never going to end. I didn't see how it could end, if that makes sense. And in the end, we ended up spending a bunch of money to learn is effectively what we did. We said, you know, this is going to be huge, like 36 grand is a huge amount of money. Mm. <laughs> There's no way around that. You can argue, oh, MRR versus cost, but it's still a substantial amount of money. Even now, that's a substantial amount of money to spend in one, in one goal to commit to. Um, and so that definitely burned me out. Whereas if that had happened now, I mean, we've got, we have multiple firewalls now and it's a different story if that happened now i know who to talk to i know where to go i have the network so like friends of a friend like like top engine like i can get access to the right people but back then i didn't have the network and so it did burn me out because i had no one i could turn to if you like and um it was impact it was in fact you know i wrote about it and i joked, i joked about it and it is funny in hindsight because it's like Everything's funny and <laughs> everything's funny and I'm sorry. That sounds like that applies that's, to everything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not correct. Um, with this situation, I, that's generally my attitude with just things like this that you know didn't didn't harm me physically, um, and it happened. So that definitely burned me out. I really think though, you know, talking about burnout and talking about 
feelings when working and motivation and everything like that. I suffer when I don't take care of myself. And everyone talks about this, you know, like meditation, exercise, whatever it may be. And when I'm not exercising and I'm just eating rubbish and I'm not lifting weights, I struggle. That's when I feel my worst and that's when I'm my least, least productive. In addition to that, when I don't carve out time to focus and I'm, you know, being responsive and putting out fires, that will also affect it. Another big thing is when I leave things open. And so I'll give an example because I'm happy to talk about this publicly. It's not, it's not a bad thing, but, you know, enterprise sales, you know, you've been just meh from the get go, which makes sense. And I, I understand that, but you agreed that it was good for me to explore it, you know, so then at least we know you know, because we don't know how can enterprise sales be? Can they even fit into Fathom? And I left that, I kind of didn't prioritize that, you know, rightly didn't prioritize that because there's other things to work on, but it still stayed in my brain. And then that takes up, again, mental bandwidth is a a topic I'm on this month. And so I'd say try and close things up because the things you don't close up, things you leave open, they have to stay in your head in some way. It, It could be just buried there, it doesn't have to be something you're consciously aware of. It could still be buried in your head. And that does take up room. And so I'd say close up things you're working on where possible, because otherwise you're just going to feel like you've just got so much going on. And honestly, like exercise. I really do think people have to exercise. I've, I've been exercising and I feel great. And I think getting your sleep, well, I'm starting to feel better actually. I haven't been exercising that long. Um, Sleep is important too. I've always been bad for sleep, you know, because I can get away with it when I was younger. You know, energy drinks and less sleep. Prioritize your sleep. I really do think that people that are healthy, they're exercising, they're eating good, they're sleeping good, they're investing in their relationships, their personal relationships, and they've got hobbies and social events, that sort of thing. And then they've got a bunch of hard work. I don't think those people burn out the same way as someone who is just, I'm grinding, I'm you know, hustle, hustling. And I, I'm doing this 24 seven. I wake up, I work, I work, work, work for 14 hours. I go to bed, repeat. I don't think you, you're going to, you're like, I'm not a psychologist, but the chances of you burning out are going to be more substantial if all you're doing is working and that's your life. And I know it may seem cool and people make it look cool in the startup stuff, but you still have to have your balance. And the people that have that balance are the ones that do this sustainably. The people that don't are the ones that burn out. And that's, that's really what I think. And I'm sure we could get Sherry Walling on at some point to, to talk about this as well. But how many people do you know who've got really balanced lives and are healthy who are burning out? Like, yeah, it doesn't happen. I've just not seen that. That's my thoughts. Have you burned out? Yeah, I mean, last year I definitely felt like I burned out. I gave myself an ulcer, basically. Oh, well. Um. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was mostly, I think, because I needed to, and I mean, we've, we've done steps to mitigate that as well. I was, I was on support pretty much all day, every day, and I was just getting inundated with people wanting features. And we had spent so much time working on architecture and Mm. data stuff and pushing down technical debt that we hadn't got any features in a while. And it was stressing me out because like, I want to make yeah. our customers happy. Like That's why I run a company is because I want the customers who are giving us money to be happy. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely um, was stressed out about that. But now we are getting back to shipping more frequently. Um, we have hired somebody who 
can now, I think I take it personally as well. Like I see support and if somebody's unhappy or somebody wants something that we can't give them, like it hurts because I like, I want to make these people happy. Like it's, it's my fucking product because yeah. you and I own this company, yeah. right? So I think having somebody in, but like Ash has come on board uh, to do customer support for us and he can be that kind of intermediate step where he, I would, I would hope, doesn't take it personally if somebody um, wants something or is unhappy about something or did something wrong and is now mad at us, which yeah. happens a lot. Um, <laughs> so I think that he's better suited, his personality um, and, and who he is is better suited to do things like that. And that's not my skill set anyways. Like I, I didn't start a company to do customer support. I think it's important that founders do support. Yeah. But if all they're doing is support and not the skill that they brought to the company in the first place, I think that's an issue. Um, yes. And we, yeah, we solve for that. Now I can get back to um, designing and writing, which is... Which you have, which has started. I mean, yeah. you're still teaching things, but uh, you know, you're seeing various things you're working on has been exciting to see. Ash is not emotionally attached in the same way he's very which professional. is good <laughs> yeah he is <laughs> no he's he's the best possible person we could have hired for this role yeah. and he he starts he's only he's part-time at the moment and he starts full-time so he might have already started full-time yeah i was gonna say he's probably to... already started when this airs dude fine 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 yeah. but having someone that's not emotionally involved who can help people and he's very logical which is good um so yeah because yeah you're right i didn't I didn't like that. And because it's people, because customers want a feature, but they don't know, you know, Ublock's doing this, or we've got to work on this feature, or we've got to work on this compliance challenge. You know, they, 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 it's hard. And so having someone who's detached from that stuff, I think, helps. I really yeah. do. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, why no mobile iOS Android app? Uh, Lucas, thank you for your question. Question number three or four or six. Um, 17. Why? I don't, I don't know. I would rather build features. Good like answer. I'd rather build features than a, a different because and then you have to support that as well. Like in the future, I'm not saying in the future we won't have an iOS or Android app, but you can also add app.usefathom.com to your home screen on your phone and our app is mobile friendly and it will just work. Right. So I don't know. For one, I think you and maybe two other people have asked us for this. You sound and defensive, Paul. I'm super defensive because I want to just I want to build features. I don't want to build the exact same version of our software uh, on a, for a different device. I think I in the future, you. I'm sure that could happen. We're a tiny team. Our development resources are limited, and I would rather them be focused on features that um, all users, uh, that all customers can, yeah, can can benefit from. Daniel asks, hey, Daniel, um, thank you for being an amazing customer. Uh, he asks, what has been your biggest drivers of growth? I'm guessing word of mouth, SEO and affiliates. Yeah, a bunch of things. I mean, those things. We spoke about this in a marketing episode previously on the podcast. Um, I mean, our audiences in the beginning, my audience, because I had a big audience before I burned it with fire yeah. and mm -hmm. you now do have a big audience and that helps for sure so i think yeah initial initial traction was my audience before yeah. you'd even come on board with fathom it was the mailing list yeah it was my mailing dispatches. list it was my audience it was the people who had taken my courses and read my books um that's obviously died down because i don't really exist on the internet anymore you still um, got people that are reading your book i think your book's been a really good driver yeah. as well 
there are still people i look at the sources of people of of like how they heard about us and people still say my name which is funny because i'm like how do you even remember me wasting years it makes that never surprised i mean it makes sense you got the book you, you were on the internet for however long yeah. it does make sense um just yeah. being people being aware is how you get people to start using fathom so anything that creates awareness is how we've grown yeah but yeah the affiliate program for sure um oh, we yeah. spend considerable amount of time on seo um so yeah <laughs> daniel you were right you you asked the question and you guessed the answer and your answer was correct so mm-hmm. good job do you plan to add scroll or time on page tracking uh yes we do we've got something we okay i can't give you a time on this but yes we do Dave. yeah i don't know about scroll but oh, updating right. how we do i mean that's an like it could happen for sure but we are 100 committed to updating the accuracy of how we track time on page for sure yeah. but we don't know when it's one for you how long did, so you obviously launched this is 2018 how long did you develop fathom before you made your first sale so you had it open source how long between that and your first sale Probably a couple months, but I mean, like, as soon as we launched the site where people could give us money, we had sales that day. Like, yeah. it was it was instant because there we knew there was a demand. Like, I saw that there was a demand when I tweeted a graphic of what I thought analytics could look like because everybody kept tweeting back at me that image of Fry from Futurama, like, take my money. <laughs> yeah. Then we put the OS version out, and that had. I think tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of downloads. Mm-hmm. And then like there was always traction with fat. There's always been traction with fat. There still is. Right. Mm-hmm. So like oh, yeah. we didn't sit and wait for people to start paying us for our software. It happened immediately because we had done the work prior to that. I think probably from idea to payment was probably about four or five months. But That's on the, the first day that we opened up, like we connected Stripe to our website to collect payments. It was instant. Like we were getting paying customers right away. And I'll, I'll add to that. Um, a lot of people think, so that happened. And um, anyone in Paul's audience that was interested basically bought, you know, like Justin Jackson, whoever else you had in that audience. But once you've talked about it in your newsletter, it isn't like you, you email your newsletter every week saying, hey, use Fathom. And you get the same amount of attraction right? Mm-hmm. each time you email. That like once you've used not used but once you've advertised it to your audience, right? And then people are coming. It's like they don't just keep on constantly coming. And I think back to Fathom's growth in the early days, right? So that influx of traffic happened and influx of sales, but Fathom wasn't growing fast. You know, we one to two customers a week or something was that? I don't remember like the early days. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a ton in the beginning. Like it takes a ton of work and this is what people don't get about SaaS. People make this mistake, which is why I want to talk about this and add it. You have to do a ton of work to get constant, a constant flow of customers coming through the door. It's not just enough to have an, and Paul had a huge, you had a huge audience. Mm-hmm. It's like th- over 30,000 people. It's not enough. So even an audience like Paul's was super focused, super invested in Paul's work, gets an influx, but it's not enough to guarantee recurring signups. But you will get people years down the line who still who, who will still come and explore it. People yeah. don't realize that they think it's going to just be so many people just constantly coming. It's like no, we had to work on that. Yeah, you can manufacture those spikes, right? Like you can manufacture like launching on Product Hunt was a spike. Yeah. The first time I emailed my mailing list was a spike. When we launch a new feature, it's a spike. But those spikes don't sustain you. 
Like they, they can't sustain a business in the long term. You need to find ways where every single day you could not do anything. We could both have COVID and be down for the count for a couple of weeks. We would still have people signing up, trialing, converting from trials every single day because we've done things like build a product that people are happy to tell other people about, that word of mouth thing. Uh, we've spent a considerable amount of time on SEO. So when people are looking for it, they find us. We have a great affiliate program that we we spend thousands and thousands of dollars paying out um, our affiliates every single month happily. Like that's the that's the happiest I am about because I hate spending money. That's the happiest I am every single month to spend money is giving these people money because they've told people that they know about our product. So like like you're saying, Jack, um, it, it's not about the manufacturing those like huge spikes. It's about all the places where those spikes aren't happening and making sure that never drops to zero. Do you anticipate a Google Analytics import that would allow the retroactive import of analytics? How might have having both platforms active and then importing from GA affect stats? Yeah, wonderful. Um, we've built this. It just hasn't been shipped yet. You can import from Google Analytics. The answer to your question would be like having them both active and then importing. So he wants to do kind of like a cutoff. Yeah. yeah I mean, we have date ranges, right? So I wouldn't import if both platforms are active. Yep. I wouldn't import because then you'll have double the stats for those days. But that's why we have a date range for our importer when it launches. You, you could have a cutoff point when you add Fathom yeah. and just and track, keep track of it. And we do have uh, some time zone stuff there as well. I mean, like ultimately, like this has to be shipped, but our, our solution is really good. So yep. yes, we will be having that. Yeah, so we will have a Google Analytics importer that will allow for retroactive import of analytics. Mm -hmm. uh, the main reason we're doing this is because we don't want people to use Google Analytics. But the second reason is Google Analytics is deleting all of that data in your universal analytics properties anyways, I think yep. June or July of this year. So they're not letting you save it. So we're just like, uh, raise hands slowly, like we can. Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, um, our GA importer um, is launching well before the cutoff of um, universal impact. It, uh, universal analytics dying yep. um, and you'll be able to people keep asking this it's, it's interesting to me like people want to be able to import retroactive but when we're building it it's like that's the only reason it exists is to import historical data so i think i need to keep that in mind when i'm creating more of the marketing materials around it to make sure i because to me that's and this is this is great like this is why like listening to customers and doing a bit of support and being and listening yeah, like listening to customers, I guess. It's good because I wouldn't have thought that I would have to market the fact that we can import historical data because I would think it's implied. Yeah. But what I'm hearing from people who are emailing us or tweeting at us is that they don't think that it's implied. So this is great because I can take that and put that in the marketing and make it, uh, and get, make it an easy answer. And it's an easy win for us, too, because like, of course we do that. Like, it's great. So I think doing things like this is really helpful because then I get to kind of learn. Um, yeah, what people how people are, are thinking about it, because I can I don't want to take how I think about something and use that to market or explain our product. I want to take what our customers or what people think about it and market or explain in a way that works for them, because like this is my life. This is your life. Like we're mm -hmm. fathom 24 seven. So yeah. we don't always get it right with what we think people want or what, how we think people will understand something. Mm -hmm. So yep. yeah, great question, Jake. Thank you. 
Isn't it difficult to not hire salespeople and scale up quickly when you have such a great product? (laughs) (laughs) I read Company of One and thought that when Paul got this product off the ground, he would go for growth because the timing is right. And I imagine Fathom is super easy to sell, especially in Europe. Um, well, Casper, I guess if you've read Company of One, then why would you think that I would do everything to grow for growth's sake? Like the book is the opposite of that. And I, I, I wrote it because that's a hundred percent how I feel about a topic. You're sassy today, by the way. I'm a hundred percent. Well, I'm sassy because uh, I don't know. Like, I think if, if somebody thinks that I wrote a book just to like with an idea in it just to sell it, I think is silly. Like uh, company of uh, one is based on how I literally feel about products and growth. So obviously mm-hmm. when I start a product company, that's I'm going to do it based on the values in company of one. I'm not going to go the opposite, right? No, like, you're an exception. I think it's, you're not the norm. Um, so yeah, but that's why I wrote the book. If I was the norm, the book wouldn't have sold. He's uh, he's arguing that yeah, every, most people would do what he suggests. Hundred percent, and that's true. Yeah. No, I mean even like I say, I've mentioned enterprise a few times, but you don't even care about that. It's uh, no. yeah, it's an interesting one. I I don't want to hire salespeople unless. So I said this this week. I said this week. Um, like there is an argument for salespeople if we had such unbelievable demand for enterprise that we could make it work in a way where that was sort of a separate entity within Fathom and the enterprise sales are done on everything, but it's not taking up all of our time. If we're involved in that, I think it, it, it brings things down because how, how on earth can you leave the company if your, your head's basically stuck in, in enterprise sales? Mm. I, if we had, if, if every single day we had, end, or every single week we had enterprise customers emailing us wanting to pay however much money then it's like yeah that'd be interesting to explore but it's also against features yep and yeah i'm not against hiring for sales in the future it's just it's the scale up quickly bit Um, yeah it's staying as a small team and being very intentional about growth has been very beneficial to us there's currently a recession and we're not affected um we're not we're not skinny dipping when the tide has gone out Mm -hmm. we're good so yeah, yeah, we're actually hiring <laughs> during the recession. Yeah, exactly. All these huge companies are laying off like 20 to 50% of their employees, which is fucking horrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it, Casper, it's not, it's, it's not difficult. I think this is where we run the company based on the values that you and I like have to our, the core of our being. So I, I don't think it's hard to stay true to who you are. Gustavo asks, what's your experience with the referral program? Is it worthy? Do you have people having only a referral account with no active subscriptions to Fathom? What's your take on that? They are like recommending something they don't use. I ask because I'm thinking of implementing it in my own micro SaaS. Gustavo, that's a lot of questions, but okay. So we can, we can knock through this pretty quick. What's your experience with the referral program? (laughs) The experience is that it's amazing. Like we built it Mm. um, and we built our software. Is it worthy? 100%. It is very much worthy. I mean, we built it ourselves because we wanted something that was very privacy focused because that's kind of who we are. So we built our own like affiliate program. You don't have to do that. That's the the route that we did. Um, We do have people who who only have a referral account but don't have an active subscription. Um, Our take on that is cool. Like I don't, if somebody wants to recommend our product to other people and not use it, I don't like that's fine to me. Like that's that's why we have it. So you can do that. Like you can be an affiliate to Fathom without being a customer of Fathom. 
I recommend therapy to people who who are um, angry at the world. I don't have any therapy <laughs> in place. I've never used therapy, and I still recommend it. Yeah. A lot of angry people shouting on Twitter who are you know constant victims. I think they should go and get some therapy. Like, I'm recommending that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I back. I do therapy <laughs> and I recommend it. So I mean, there's there both sides, right? Like I'm an active customer of therapy and I recommend it. You're not, and you still recommend it. Kickback um, or no kickback? I think um, you should only recommend products you actually care about and think are good that's just yeah. a general a general thing so but i'm also not going to police people like they can do whatever they want and but i think the net net is if we get a customer from somebody who's just doing it to make money and they are now have a they now have a more private um analytics product on their site that isn't big tech or google like that's still a that's still a win for privacy. That's still a win for a customer getting a great product. That's still a win mm-hmm. for that person who promoted us getting twenty five percent commission for life. Like it's still a, it's still like a triple win, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't I have no problem with that. I think people can do whatever they want, and in that scenario, literally nobody is hurt. So yeah, yeah I think it, I think it's perfect. The alarm blares, and you wake up to find that Fathom Analytics is down. And all accounts, AWS single store, are empty with no instances. Everything is quiet. <laughs> this is not a bug. Someone got access and wiped it clean. What do you do? What is your disaster recovery? Oh, God. This is a Emil, good question. Yeah, Emil's pretty sharp. And this is a really good, yeah. We've just been talking about this because we ha- obviously have a plan as to what we do. But we need to formally document this plan because I think it's pretty much in our heads at the moment. Um, so obviously, you go to the latest backup that you have. And then you'd have to, I suppose, we would deploy a new AWS account. We would deploy the code base to that using Vapor or something similar. And then we would restore from the latest backup. And I suppose in this scenario, if everything had been deleted, someone got access to our AWS account, <laughs> then there'd be some, some lost page views coming in. There'd be some downtime. And um, we'd just deploy it in, how long would that take? So probably take hour or two i say probably two hours to to get back up from if, if like we're talking completely mm-hmm. wipes everything then probably a couple hours to get that back up and yeah uh, yeah whatever latest data and back up we is we're actually moving to bottomless storage um, with single store on their cloud service and so we'll actually have point in time recovery and so then I guess you could say, oh, what happens if single store's AWS account got hacked? But it's like, what happens if AWS got hacked? You yeah. know, you can get into these really funny scenarios. But um, we, we're actively reviewing things like, oh, should we be backing up to an additional cloud provider as well as AWS? Because like, what if AWS is hacked? Because that, you know. The, the entire internet would stop if that was the case. Yeah, they wouldn't come for us. They'd come no. for probably get some data from uh, US government. <laughs> yeah, there'd be lots of <laughs> things. But no, there are arguments. I mean, I've talked to Simon um, from Snapshoot. Oh, uh, Snapshoot uh, announced yesterday that they've been acquired by DigitalOcean. Uh, oh, I'm, congratulations. I'm the, yeah, I'm putting the time on this episode, but that's really cool. So, um, yeah, so honestly, I think a multi cloud backup is something we need to be looking at realistically, not just S3 um, for the database. But um, outside of that, no, if, if our AWS account got wiped, then we'd have a backup um, to work from and we'd restore from that. There'd be some data loss. But yeah, the only thing we can improve, I think, is yeah, multi-cloud. You know, there's, uh, I'm trying to think how someone would have got access to our AWS account in the first place. That would be yeah. inside job on, in AWS, I guess. What are your thoughts on Apple's end-to-end encryption to many additional iCloud data categories on an opt-in basis for enhanced security? 
Um, do you know anything about this? Um, Shashank asked this question. Um, I mean, I end-to-end encryption is kind of like the, the gold standard for privacy, I, I guess. So I think that that's cool. It would be cool because I saw when Apple announced this on iCloud and I the first thing I did was like, okay, I'm going to go turn this on. You can't in Canada. It's only available in the States right now. Apparently, they're rolling <laughs> it out to other countries soon. So I don't actually know because I can't I can't play with it. But I think so on the one hand, I don't really trust Apple that much. But on the other hand, if it is true end to end encrypted, then Apple, I don't need to trust Apple. That's the point of end to end encryption is that it's just encrypted and decrypted locally for me. So I think that that it's probably good. I don't know. I don't know a, a ton about it. Right. But okay. yeah, end to end encryption is good. <laughs> Yeah, Apple's, I need to learn more about their IP hiding, limit IP address tracking too. You know how they put that proxy in in between you and the yeah. request. I need to understand, is that like a VPN where you still have the end-to-end encryption or are they terminating TLS on their proxy and then reopening the connection? I think it's the form. I think it's like a VPN, but that always got me a bit concerned. I well, they don't have any documentation about how they, I would hope, keep no logs of this data or or anything like that so if they're if they're actually if they're actually um doing more than just the vpn piece yeah it is Mm. frustrating because sometimes people will block their ip address but then if they load a website with fathom on it in safari it won't because their ip address has been (laughs) changed on the image that our javascript ingest super technical but like it is frustrating sometimes and this took us a long time to figure out um but it, it has been a bit of a problem god that's so good yeah i love it uh kelsey asked um just wondering when google analytics import will happen um this year for sure and for sure before uh google analytics sunsets universal analytics yep. like we're wrapping up a few things first on infrastructure and then we're moving into like google analytics is the next the getting the importer across the finish line and launched is the next thing that we're doing do you store this is from mike do you store each page view in the database in a single table how many records does the table now have how do you batch process the page views summary and show it in the dashboard of graphs do you have a certain schedule yeah so we don't do any kind of roll-ups at the moment um we actually do it all on we have one row per page view and we do all the analytics on that data and we can only do that because we use single store. MySQL would probably take 16 hours to give you a result for some of our customers. So yeah, um, that's how we do it. Yep, no data sampling either. Just this is 100. Because people, I've got a bunch of questions like that in support this last week about data sampling. It's like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. see the data that of the people who visited your website. Yeah. And, and in terms of how much data we have, we have tons of tons of page views. Trying to sort of have a look as Dr. I'm Evil talking. pinky finger to mouth. One million rows. Yeah, we, 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 it, we got, yeah, we got billions of rows yeah, now. It's I mean, billions and billions. Yeah, that's where we're at. Billions of rows is the answer to that. Yeah. One million rows. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Derek asked, coming this spring, I'll be carrying out my first beta experience for first ever web app. What have you found to be best practices in creating a comprehensive feedback loop? Chatting with people, uh, yeah. having an area for them to submit bugs depends on the size of the audience doing it. Not rolling um, it out to thousands and thousands of customers without testing it first 
obviously important. Yeah, for the first ever web app, just let just know, just talk to people. Uh, there's no, I think you're over engineering at this point. Yeah, um, is is my gut on this? Just get feedback. Get someone in it. Get them send you send you a text message. They can write you a letter. Doesn't matter. Just get feedback and get them to tell you why they wouldn't pay for it as well. Because it's all yeah. good saying, "Oh, I love this," but if someone isn't going to pay pay you for it, then yeah, you you don't need processes until you have volume, and you'll know when you have volume. Because we we've run into well, this right with just like open ended like let us know what's working oh yeah, yeah and it's just like that. get inundated <laughs> so like you have to then like you don't have a problem with volume until you are one hundred percent aware that you have a problem with volume I I tweet out contact support if you want access to this and then you get oh, <laughs> so many emails yeah, thousands of emails later many. thank you thank you so much <laughs> but in the, you like you don't have to worry about that at the beginning if it's your <laughs> yeah. first beta and it's your first web app and you don't have a massive audience then just like talk to these people like get on fucking tuple with them and like watch them walk through using your app or setting it up like do it one do it one at a time in the beginning right because you have the luxury of doing that and when you get to volume best practice can be you know forms for data collection can be you know roadmaps trello boards people can vote on things with thumbs up there's a bunch of things you can do but yeah yeah just get feedback in the early days iOS widgets for Fathom. Looking at my phone and seeing stats on the fly. I could have sworn someone built this. iOS widgets, not something we're focusing on. Maybe in the future, that would be quite interesting to have. But at the moment, we're focusing on features like Paul said. When we get to the point where we're like, oh, Fathom's got enough features, we're good. Then, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, like you said, I think core features that everyone can benefit from is the, yeah, is, is where we're at as far as priorities right now. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the second Q&A. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be changing up how we do this podcast this year. So stay tuned. Hit that subscribe. Oh, wait, they already are subscribed, aren't they? You say on YouTube, hit that subscribe button to let the algorithm smash that like button. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Above Board podcast. Thank you, everybody, who submitted questions for our Q&A, which we split into two parts. So this is the end of the second part. And tune in, I guess, uh, in a little while, and we'll have another episode from this show. Uh, I'm Paul Jarvis. You're Jack Ellis. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.